Hello, welcome to Office Hours Beyond the Lecture. Today, we will be interviewing Eric Cathcart. He has been a professor at the University of San Diego since 1994 and was hired full-time in 2014. He is a licensed geologist. He also plays in a punk rock band and surfs every day. Thank you for being on our podcast today. Glad to be here. Um, so would you mind expanding? What do you, what do you do? What are your passions? I, I enjoy surfing every morning before I come to, come to school to teach classes. Some of the mornings with a, with an eight o'clock class, it's a little difficult whenever the time change happens. So I'm a big proponent of not changing the time anymore. Keep it the same. Um, uh, yeah, really enjoy surfing. I've, uh, like playing in bands, I've kind of been a musician for 35 plus years. And uh, I just like being outside. Mm. Is that why you're a geologist? Absolutely. Fun. So you do geology also, and you, you're also a professor. Yeah, right. So I've been uh, doing environmental consulting um, since 1996 and uh, worked for a number of different firms and then started my own firm and continued that for a number of years and then sort of shut it down and transitioned into teaching full-time. Mm-hmm. And now I just started another firm again. So what made you want to start your own firm in the first place? To have more control over what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go into environmental consulting, so let's say when you graduate and you, you get out there and you're trying to find yourself your first job, and you go and you start working for an environmental firm, generally they're going to hire you as a field technician. It's typically how it, how it works. So they hire you as a field technician. You got and you're collecting all this data for everyone, which is which is awesome. That's what we're trying to help you guys learn how to do in all your classes and stuff. To go take in the field, take good data, um, come back. Typically, um, in your first year as an environmental consultant, you're grabbing the data, you're coming back, and you're putting it into spreadsheets and tables and making graphs and things with it. And somebody else is using your data to write a report. Um, as you continue to progress, and let's say you've been doing consulting for a year or so, um, then they'll uh, then then you start pulling together the data more and actually doing some writing and writing the report but after about three years of environmental consulting once you get the field portion down Mm -hmm. there is a transition from being in the field 90 percent of the time to being in the office 90 percent of the time and what happens is you'll get really good at whatever it is that you're doing and your employer will then hire will then allow you to train the new people that are coming in so now you become more kind of a project manager and you may have two or three people under you and you're taking them out in the field and somebody's doing field work in this particular location and then another one and another one and you have to be at all three you're just kind of circulating around what happens is all that data comes in you use that data to write a report and you'll find that you're just not in the field as much anymore and when that transition happened to me and I was sort of uh, doing more office work and, and out of the field, I realized that I didn't like what I was doing at all. Mm-hmm. And so when I got my professional geologist license, after having a number of years of experience, there's a bunch of exams you have to take and all this other great stuff. Um, once I got that, I could I could have my own firm and do my own thing. I didn't need anyone to, to, to basically supervise me. I could stamp things and, and, and just get it done and, and report directly to regulatory agencies. So... I decided that I enjoyed being in the field. I like to collect my own data. I like to do my own stuff. And so I quit working for the environmental firms and actually became a stay-at-home dad for my kids. Um, and in the process of being a stay-at-home dad, started my own company and uh, ended up actually hiring uh, quite a few people that I used to work with that were um, starting their own families. And we basically had sort of a stay-at-home 
parent kind of environmental firm, which was really cool. So we all got to hang out with our kids, and we all got to still make money. Whoa. So that was very fun. And then at the same time, when I was doing all that, um, I was still at USD teaching a class a semester or so, and kind of continued to do that and, and realized that that was one of the things that I really, really missed was having the academic connection. So as soon as my kids were old enough to either they got out of preschool or in kindergarten, as soon as all of them made it through that, I came back to USD and, and started full time. So. What made you want to start teaching in the first place? I don't know. My mom was a teacher. Um, I don't know. I just always felt felt comfortable teaching. It just felt like that's what I was supposed to do. I, I don't know any other way to explain it. It's just my my plan was so I have, I have a master's degree and I got it from USD. I worked with Dr. Sarah Gray here, and my plan was to go out in the field, or go out in industry get my credential, my professional geologist credential, and then go get a PhD. Because then I thought, okay, I'll be able to get a full-time job somewhere. That will put me at a level that's different from the other PhDs because I'll have sort of the real-world experience Mm -hmm. of consulting and the professional credential to go along with it and a PhD. That way I can get hired full-time somewhere. What ended up happening was when I transitioned from being a consultant full-time and had my own company and decided I wanted to come back to teaching, USD offered me a full-time job without a PhD. So I didn't go get it. Oh. Yeah, but I would I would have if that's what it required me to do. Did so. you always want to be a geologist and a teacher and, yeah. and all these things? Like you always, from the moment yeah. that you... Yeah, my, my best friend's brother growing up was, uh, was a geologist. And I remember at his house one time, I was like eight years old, and his brother came in and he had this box of minerals. And he brought a box of minerals, and he goes, hey, guys, check this out. He was in college. His brother was in college at the time. And he brought this in, and he said, I'm studying geology. I'm going to be a geologist. And I looked at one look at the minerals, and I went, yeah, me too. <laughs> Whoa. So would it, you say that that's what inspired you to go into geology? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Whoa. absolutely. Just that one that Interaction, one that one. That's all I needed. And as soon as I got to college, the first class I signed up for was a geology class. And I sat in there, like, the first time, the first lecture, I'm like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. That must have felt amazing. Oh, it was great. I mean, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. When I went into undergrad, this is what I'm going to do. And I looked at, I had all my courses mapped out and everything, knew exactly what I was going to do. Did you ever stray away from that? Nope. Never as mm-hmm. a geologist. Mm-hmm. What do you think for you was one misconception when you came into geology? Um, the misconception for me was that I thought as, as a geologist, when I was going to go out and do consulting that I was actually going to do geology. And so what ends up happening with like environmental consulting, there's, there's lots of different ways that you can go in the field. There's a geotechnical way, there's a hydrogeological way, and there's a contamination, fate, and transport kind of way. But um, environmental consulting is not science. And that was my misconception. I thought being a geologist, I was going to go out and do research in the field and do science. Now, academically, yeah, that's exactly what we do. But... As an environmental consultant, it's kind of the opposite of that. Um, uh, let's say I'm a consultant for you. You don't want to pay someone to do a science experiment on your property, right, mm-hmm. and your stuff. Mm-hmm. They want to know just what are the facts. What's the level of contamination here, here? How long is it going to take until it's cleaned up? They want it. Bam, 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 bam. They want that. A plus B very, very precise. They don't want to hear about any kind of bias in geology or any kind of 
anything wrong with the data. They just want to know, here's what I have to do and here's how you do it. And I had always thought that being a geologist and being a professional geologist was, was about the science and being out there and being in the field and doing it. And it's not if you're a consultant. It's a business. How and was that for you when you when you figured that out? I hated it. Really? That's why I started my own company. Because <laughs> I, I, it's, it's wild. I, I don't like money. I don't like money. I don't like finances. I don't like any of that stuff. My wife loves that stuff, which is great. But um, I can't stand it. I don't like doing timesheets. I don't do any of that stuff. So I started my own company. I'm like, no timesheets. I'm not doing timesheets. Um, but it's a business. And that's one of the things I like to tell all of the students who are graduating from here is that if you don't go into academics... You're, and even if you do go into academics, it's still a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the mindset that you need to have is that you're actually going out there and you're helping somebody make money. You're making money yourself, but your job, whatever job that you get, is to make that company or that entity money. Mm-hmm. That's what you get hired for. So they might need a specific skill set, but the bottom line is they're hiring you so that they can they can make more money and be more productive. Um, so for me, that was a, a misconception because I had thought when I got hired that I would be an environmental consultant and be out in the field and, and doing and like geological work. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being more of a, you know, you're just kind of looking at basic stuff and I didn't really ever get to get into it. And I missed that, which is why when I came back to do academics, I like to work on my own research projects and things to kind of open up that door again. Like with EOSC 301, the research that we do in that class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Very fun to go out in Mission Bay and to do all that sampling. And and, uh, and I'm really, really enjoying now because for for years, I'm just a geologist and all about geology and geology and geology. And now it's been very, very fun teaching these courses with other professors, team-taught courses. I love these courses that are team-taught because you get the perspective from, from two different professors or maybe even three different professors at the same time. Um, and to go out in the field and do this interdisciplinary work is is fantastic. I really like doing it, and I think it helps um, all the students with your degree that you're getting from here, which is an interdisciplinary degree. I mean, my degree was only in geology. I didn't have to have a biology class at all. Everything I did was geology and physics and chemistry, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And so... I kind of had blinders on for a while that everything was all about rocks and geology and all that stupid vegetation was in the way of my rocks. I couldn't (laughs) see it. But I now have an appreciation for (laughs) the relationships, you know, between all these. And I think it's extremely important to to look at all these different relationships. And um, you're seeing that now in the consulting world. Like When you get hired, they very rarely now have a position open for a geologist. Or even for a biologist, sometimes you'll see it, but usually it's more of, they want an environmental scientist. They want somebody who can sample water and can go count birds and butterflies and can look at endangered species and can still log sediment and can do all of the interdisciplinary stuff that we're trying to to expose you guys to that you're going to have out in industry. Um, and it's I, I think it's interesting that for most of the classes that we offer here at, at USD, we've structured them and we've structured the majors in a way that actually fits with what's going on in the industry, right? So we're giving you that GIS experience, which is fantastic. And, and that alone, just having GIS classes can get you hired 
um, even just basic knowledge of GIS can, can get you a job because um, it's very it's huge right now in the environmental world. But um, you know that whole interdisciplinary aspect of things is is is, is I think crucial to be successful today. And I didn't have that. Mine was mm-hmm. all geology. But luckily, coming back in here, being exposed to it, kind of opened been able to open you up. up. Yeah. yeah. What was the last project that you worked on? What was your research question? So I've got um, a lot of different projects going on. Um, I guess I'll, I'll m- most of my my personal stuff is is dealing with um, hazardous materials and, and things that can can hurt you basically. Um, so most recently it's been a lot with metals. So I have a project going on looking at metals contamination in the area. But the, um, uh, the, the last, the, the biggest one that we're working on is one that's an arsenic mine that's over near uh, Black Mountain open space. So near Forest Ranch um, area, just to the north of us here at USD off the 56. Um, and the, the main part of the research question was, um, why is the arsenic there? Geochemically, why is it there? And tectonically, how did it get emplaced there? And so there's a there's a mountain, there's an old arsenic mine um, where they used to go in there and they would dig this stuff out. So the first step was to go out there and figure out how is it, what form is it in, in the rocks? What What's the mineralogy of it? Because you don't just have just pure arsenic sitting there. It's bound to something. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, it was arsenopyrite. So it's a, you remember pirate, the kind of gold looking mm-hmm. mineral where well, there's a form of it where arsenic actually comes into the crystal lattice and it sort of bonds together and it's called arsenopyrite. Huh. So that appears to be the form that we found. But the main part of the research question was, um, how did it form? Mm-hmm. And so by going through and doing a bunch of analyses and, and uh, a lot of field work and a lot of mapping, we found that it's hydrothermal. So whenever that mountain was made, it was a volcanic deposit. Soon after the rocks cooled, there was hot water that came into the system and it rose up and and pushed in through the fractures and deposited all this arsenic in there in the fracture system. Wow. Yeah. That must have been an interesting project. It's it's still going on. Still going on. Because, you know, as you know, with arsenic, there's a it's it's a health concern because mm-hmm. arsenic is bad. It can really hurt you. It can it can it can be bad. Um, but there are different ways that the arsenic can get into your system. You can inhale it to see if the dust. You can ingest it if maybe you're going to take your food and rub it on the ground, but mm-hmm. maybe you have some on your hand and you're you're rubbing your face or, or something like that, and it, it ends up getting in your in your uh, mouth and you ingest it. Or perhaps if you're a farmer in the area and mm-hmm. you know the, the the crops or whatever could could um, pull pull in the arsenic into the, the, the food. So uh, inhalation, ingestion, um, and dermal exposure. There's an, there's an absorption component of it. If you just touch it, it can actually, your skin's porous and it can come in through your skin. How is that for you, like working with these rocks and things that can be dangerous and harmful to you? What, how is that for you? Yeah, so this is the kind of stuff I, I work with every day. So my business is dealing with hazardous materials and stuff that's been released in the environment and toxic spills and underground tanks and things. So I'm very used to, to being out there with it. There's certain protocols that you would use. You wear rubber gloves. You don't, you know, um, if, if it's an area where there's a lot of dust, you wear a respirator. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some safety protocols that you do. And for every one of these projects that I work on, 
that does have, there is a risk associated with it by either ingestion or inhalation or dermal contact. We have something called a health and safety plan where we're going through, we look at all of the different exposure pathways and ways to, to mitigate that um, in the field. So yeah, there's, I could show you pictures of, of us in the field and we're up next to the mines and we all have respirators on mm. um, or gloves on and that kind of stuff. So we've been around it enough and we research everything very well to make sure that we're safe when we're there. And of course, when you bring the, the samples back to, le- to the lab to analyze them, you still have to be safe there. So if we're going to take that rock and cut it with a rock saw, then we're sure we use water associated with it to keep the dust down. But if we're crushing or pulverizing anything, then we have to cover that whole area mm-hmm. and put it like in a negative pressure space and that kind of stuff. So we're real cognizant of that. Yeah. That's good. Let's go into the next question. What, is, what does science mean to you? You do these research questions, you do this consulting, and what does it mean to you? What does science mean to me? Yeah. Science is a puzzle. Science is, you, you, you get to come up with any sort of research question that you want to, and you get to, to go out and find the pieces of the puzzle. So I, I always have fun with science. As, as, a, as a geologist in the, this idea of research questions, most geologists will tell you that we don't really know what our research question is until we actually have grabbed the data. So, you know, I'll know that I want to go look at the Santiago Peak Volcanics. So I go out there and I, st- I look around and study them and start hitting them with my rock hammer and grab some samples and look at things that look weird um, and do some mapping and pull everything together. And then, you know, you kind of look at the mapping or you look at the data that you collected and there's something curious about it. And you get to take that piece of the puzzle and then make more puzzle pieces and put it together and try to make it fit. And that's what science means to me. It's a, it's a puzzle that you, that you get to go out and collect all of this data. And it could be water data. It could be air data. It could be noise data. There's all kinds of, you know, science is, is wide open. Um, but to me, every, everything is a puzzle. And then when you get to do a report or you report on the puzzle, you publish about what you found it's describing what each of those puzzle pieces are and how they relate Interact, to one another. Yeah. yeah, and how they kind of clip together. Maybe. <laughs> or sometimes they <laughs> or don't. Or maybe they don't. But maybe they don't, which means you're missing another piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. right? So you have to go out and get some more data to try to make that puzzle piece. And it's fascinating. Yeah. And geology in particular is a relatively young science. So you, know, you go back in the 1970s is when we were first talking about plate tectonics. You know, everything is all about plate tectonics. Whoa. Yeah, so our, our classes that we teach from talking about plate motion and plate tectonics and stuff, go back in 1970, and that was not what we were saying. I mean, I wasn't teaching in 1970, but um, all the books and stuff, they, they don't have anything about plate tectonics. Oh, that's so the cool thing about science, too, is like it is constantly changing. Constantly yeah. changing. New stuff, new technology, you know, new huh. findings. Yeah. That's, I think that's why I love it. It's never it's never the same. Every time you go out there and you try something, it's going to be a little bit different. Yep. What was the biggest moment for you as a professional in your field? I was working one time uh, down in downtown uh, San Diego. So a lot of my uh, jobs as a consultant, they deal with contaminated properties. I have clients that will buy a property that's contaminated because they can buy it cheaper mm. that way. right? So if it was a pristine property with an ocean view you know, kind of thing. They could build stuff on it. Then it would be very, very, very expensive. But if it's contaminated, then they can get it cheaper. So, um, one time we were working, working downtown and we were digging, um, in this, this pit and we were down, um, it was probably a a square, it was probably a block, a city block. Um, 
worth of surface area. And we dug down about 30, 35 feet. And over in one corner of the property, I was there next to the excavator and it was digging down and digging down and it was digging through the sediment and sediment and it was all pretty mundane and everything was fine. And I kind of turned around to talk to someone else and then I heard the backhoe make a big noise, like bang, like it ran into something. Which was weird because all of the stuff we were digging up was all sediment. We were in the San Diego formation. It all looked like beach sand. Mm -hmm. So they're digging and digging and digging. All of a sudden, bam! And um, so I went over to the backhoe operator and told them to uh, pull the bucket up. And I pulled the bucket up and there was something stuck in in the edge of the bucket. And when I pulled the piece off the edge of the bucket, it was a molar from a Colombian mammoth. Yeah. And so... We, we backed up, backed everything up and excavated kind of around it. Um, and when you're digging in San Diego, you are required to have a paleontologist on site. Mm-hmm. You actually have to have an, uh, an archaeologist for the upper three feet. And as you go below that three feet, then it switches over to a paleontologist. Well, the paleontologist was away on a smoke break. She <laughs> wasn't there. And so we flag, flagged her down. And she came over and uh, I held the tooth out. She got very, very excited. And um, so we we backed everything up. Of course, we were all very excited. Like, all the scientists were super excited about it because I knew what that meant, that we just found a, a, a Colombian mammoth. Um, and the tusks and all the stuff, which we'll get into in a second. But the, the owner of the property and the developer were not happy at all because what this meant was they couldn't work over there on that side now. They had to go work on the mm-hmm. other side of the property, and that was it threw their schedule off. But we went in there, and, and within about um, four days, we had gotten everything excavated. But we ended up finding about 80% of the skull, two of these really big, long tusks that were 14 to 18 feet long. Whoa. Really, really neat stuff. Um, and after we excavated that, directly underneath that, there was a ground sloth. And underneath that, there was a Californian gray whale. And then right underneath that, this is amazing, right underneath that was a layer of the bishop ash, which is part of the um, Long Valley caldera when it erupted, Whoa. the last sequence. So we actually have a, an index there for how old these creatures were. Um, the uh, mammoth is now inside the building. It's down at the Thomas Jefferson School of Law that's downtown. And they actually took the skeleton, they took the head out, and it's, it's on display, like when you walk in the... Whoa. Yeah. And I think they even changed their logo on there. It's a mammoth. It's a mammoth now? Yeah. Whoa, that's, really that must neat. have been crazy. Yeah, it was very cool. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And, you know, 90% of the time when you're digging down there, you just find dirt. Sand <laughs> so that sand was pretty neat. I mean, I've been working down there for 10 or 15 years and we never found little shark's teeth and little bones and stuff like that. Never anything really large or cool. Mm-hmm. That was neat. Yeah. Wow. And was that in the beginning of your career at the... No, no, this was back in 2000... Oof. Eight or nine? It wasn't too long ago. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the biggest challenges in your field? Probably transitioning from trying to be a scientist to being a business person. That was a big challenge. Um, that, like I was saying before, as a you know doing environmental consulting, whether it's biological or permitting or whatever, you start out initially in the field and then 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 you transition from sort of being the scientist to being the project manager person. It's kind of the business aspect of things. That was really challenging for me because I didn't have any background in business at all. I never had a business class, which, by the way, you should take a business class. Um, But I've been able to successfully run a company for 20 years. I don't know how because I don't know what I'm doing when it becomes, you know, when we're talking about business stuff. 
but that was a huge, huge challenge um, because that really wasn't what my training was in. You know, it was more science stuff, and then I had to do two business things. Um, that was that was a very big challenge. Um, what else? Another very, very big challenge for me was 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 life in general. Just having kids, going through that transition of of being a student to getting married to having a family and now having that work-life balance mm. of being able to, to do what you want to do and spend time with your kids, always challenging. Um, but I tell this to all of my students when they come in and we're, you know, I'm the internship coordinator here too, by the way. So, um, but when everyone's coming in or looking for internships and stuff, I always ask them the same question. It's like, when you wake up in the morning what is going to get you excited about getting out of bed? So your alarm goes off, and I don't want you to have the feeling of, oh, i got to go to my internship, or, oh, i got to go to work. It's more an excited, yay, I get to go to work. So what is it that's going to make you do that? What is it? Is it scuba diving? Is it jumping out of an airplane? What is it that when you wake up, you're going to go, you're going to be very excited to be where you want to be? And for me, it's it's this. It's, it's teaching. Mm. It, I get excited every morning. I, I I've been working here now for many, many years, and every time I come here, I, I truly don't feel like I'm at a job here. It's great. I, I really don't feel like I'm working. Now, when I do consulting, I feel like I'm working. <laughs> but I really, it's, it's it's the passion, and that's what you need to try to find. And the best time to do that is right when you graduate. Just think about what it, what is it that's going to make you excited every single day, and do it then. Don't wait. Don't go get a job and think I gotta get. I gotta make my money. I gotta have a lot of money before I can do that. You don't. You need to start with your passion as soon as you graduate, and see where it takes you. Because if you're passionate about something, you're going to be really successful at it. Do you feel like you did that? I did. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. I did consulting long enough to get my credential so that I could get hired to a full time position and teach. That's that was my method to get to where I was going to be happy. I'm in a position right now, luckily, I mean, I guess I've worked for it, but I can surf every morning, come to class, teach my classes. I still get to do consulting. The consulting work opens up opportunities for interns. Um, I can provide research projects for students to work on, to help me work on. Um, That's exactly what happened. So... For you, what do you think, some advice for somebody who wants to go into your field to do the things that you're doing right now, what would your advice be? The first and foremost, um, to to get out there and, and, and working in industry is to start getting your experience together now. Um, try with internships or research projects, work with professional geologists, work with other environmental consultants. Um, any experience that you have is going to put you ahead of other people who are graduating who just have a degree or just a degree in environmental science. I mean, it's a great degree to have. But if they have that and no experience working in the field um, or working in industry, you're gonna, they're going to preferentially, you're going to get hired before they do um, because of that experience. So that is number one is to try to get out there and experience, get, get real world experience through internships um, or research. Um, um, get your name known, um, especially if you're getting ready to graduate. Start going to some of these. Uh, there's local meetings. There's local chapters for lots of um, 
different organizations. There's there's organizations for geologists. There's environmental professional organizations. There's biologist organizations. There's air quality and water quality organizations. They usually meet, you know, once a month. And uh, everybody just sort of gets together and chats. There's, there's even stuff for environmental attorneys that I go to a lot. Um, that It's just kind of fun to see what everyone's doing in industry and just walk around and introduce yourself. Um, that, number one, is the best way to, to, to get a job, ultimately, is that people need to know who you are. Sending in your resume to a company that's never heard of you before, even if they have an advertisement for a job, you're best bet is to reach out to them in some way, do some research online and see if there's anyone at that company who's an alumni from where you were. Reach out to that person specifically. Tell them you're an alumni. And a lot of companies, especially the larger companies, will give um, that person a bonus. So if, if say you reached out to someone, it, it would environment. So we have a lot of people who work for Wood. There's actually most consulting firms in San Diego area, we have someone from USD who's there. But if you reach out to that person, send them your resume, and they take the resume and push it up the chain, when you get hired, they get a really nice bonus. And so it's, there's a lot of incentive there for doing that. So you're helping them because they're going to get a bonus, and they're helping you because you're going to get hired. So start establishing your professional network as soon as possible. Get a LinkedIn profile. Start establishing your network. Thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate this interview. Sure. Um, awesome. Thank you for joining us on Office Hours, Beyond the Lecture, and we will see you next week.